Hello, I'm Kate Fisher. Welcome to Milkshakes for Mali, the podcast that tells the stories of blood product recipients to thank donors and to encourage people to donate blood, plasma, platelets or breast milk. This podcast aims to bridge the gap of anonymity between Australian blood donors and their recipients. It creates a space for recipients and the people who love them to tell their stories of survival. It documents the remarkable lives they go on to live, the contributions they make to their communities and the joy they bring to those around them. If you have ever been a blood donor, you could have been one of the people that helped to save the life of the guests that we profile here on the Milkshakes for Mali podcast each week. And becoming a donor in the future means that you too could become a part of this story. I am so excited to share today's bonus episode. And today we give you Milkshakes for Mali meets Raw, the podcast. I've been chatting with Emma and Amy from Raw since before they launched their podcast, and it is a very, very similar concept to one that I had started writing before pursuing the Milkshakes for Mali concept instead. They've created the podcast that I needed when I felt so lonely and isolated when Mali was at her sickest, and listening to their podcast episodes reminds me of that saying that it takes a village. And all of us on this podcast tonight are so lucky that we've all found our people in the bereaved and medically complex parenting spaces. And all of our families have benefited so greatly from Australian blood donors. Here is my chat with Emma and Amy from Raw, the podcast. Welcome, everyone. We have a very special episode tonight of Raw the podcast meets milkshakes for Marley. We have Amy and Emma from Raw the podcast and Kate. Welcome, Kate from Milkshakes for Marley. Hi, Kate. Hi, guys. This is very exciting. Congratulations on the release of your podcast. Thank you. And Thanks for joining us. Yeah. And when this goes live, you will have interviewed both Emma and myself on your podcast. So it's our turn to return the favour and ask a little bit about you tonight. Thank you. It's, yeah, it's incredible. You've done such a beautiful job with your first couple of episodes and it's such an honour to be joining you guys tonight. So thank you. We think the same about you, you, clearly, and um, the Absolutely. awareness you're spreading. Yeah, amazing. So, Kate, your podcast, Milkshakes for Marley, tells the survival stories of blood product recipients and is inspired by your gorgeous now five, is that right, your old daughter Marley and her team so of now plasma six. Do- Now six. Look at that. Yeah, Got that one wrong. That- Three sets of bonus birthday candles now, yeah. so it's very, very recently fixed. Yeah, um, and yet I guess blood donors um, basically save and preserve her life. So Marley was diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder called well, an autoimmune encephalitis and epilepsy at the age of three. Um, she's been in and out of hospital countless times with prolonged seizures. Um, mainly in their paediatric intensive care unit where she's intubated and ventilated and placed in an induced coma. So she's very unwell in these um, episodes. Can you tell us a little bit more about her condition and now how you are managing it with regular um, intravenous immunoglobulin infusions? Yeah, absolutely. So Marley is now six. Um, She is a fabulous, incredible little girl who has started prep this week and that is so far from where we ever thought she would be. Um, As I was saying, she's just turned six and that's three sets of bonus birthday candles that she has blown out. 
um, we've nearly lost her a lot of times and the only reason she's still in her world is due to plasma donors in Australia. Um, and that was the motivation for making the podcast because without plasma, we don't get to keep her. So yeah. autoimmune encephalitis um, means that she has an autoimmune response in her body. That means that her immune system is wrongly identifying her healthy brain cells as foreign and attacking her brain. Um, that can be, you know, has coordination difficulty, speech difficulties, um, and can have really big, long seizures. So her seizures can be as brief as you kind of look at her and go, oh, I think that might have been a brief one. It's no big deal. Yeah. Um, to her longest seizure was a 39-hour seizure. Um, wow. We yeah, have said so goodbye nice. to her plenty of times, thinking that she's not going to see the light of another day. Um, and the condition isn't curable. We can manage the symptoms um, and we can manage her day-to-day -day life. But um, at the moment, she's incredibly stable. She has a global developmental delay. Um, so she's more than two years delayed across the board. Um, but apart from that, you wouldn't know that she was yeah. sick on most days. Yeah. It can be anything from that to her not being able to walk, talk, breathe, feed herself, um, recognise us as her parents is one of the big ones. Post-anesthesia, she quite often doesn't recognise us for quite some time. Um, and every time she has a big prolonged anesthesia, um, in the first instance, we just hope she lives. Um, and then after mm -hmm. that, you kind of just hope that any of that function comes back. So yeah. the only thing that we have used that has been able to treat it and keep that brain inflammation at bay has been intravenous immunoglobulin infusion which is made from donated human plasma. Um, and we saw the incredible impact of our family and friends donating once they understood Marley's story and that blood products can be used to improve people's quality of life as well as keep them alive. And we yeah. thought through telling her story, we increased so many blood donors. So what would happen if we told all of the stories? So yeah. we've created yeah. this beautiful platform to bridge it's the amazing. gap of anonymity. Yeah, especially at the moment. Recipients. Yeah, especially at the moment, raising awareness of the many different reasons or the many different conditions that um, blood donation can help. Because mm. at the moment, there's quite a shortage of blood donors and well, not blood donors in particular, but lots of cancellations of appointments due to COVID and illness. Um, and the, yeah, the need for blood donation is so high at the moment. Mm. So you're doing an incredible mm. thing. And it's not until, like you said, until you know someone who's needed blood um that you that you even realize and that you even like I didn't think about donating blood until Jack required or James and Jack required transfusion so early in life and now I'm not allowed to donate blood unfortunately but Scott goes regularly now um so yeah it is it's telling those stories and especially people like we've talked about this before people immediately think that um you know it's only trauma victims or you know blood mm. loss victims that receive but it's raising awareness of the, the you know, vast, um, like, I don't even know how to say it, you know, that it's not just those those people that need trans, like, it's the tiny babies, like premature babies, people like mm. Jack, people like Marley, and it's not always just mm. life-saving, like, it can be life-preserving. So, yeah, you're doing amazing, mm. wonderful things. Um, well, it's all three of our families, um, and our listeners will have heard Amy's earlier episode 
which you'll find is episode three if you go back in our podcast feed and also Emma that we interviewed last week. So um, we, don't only yeah. t- we don't only tell the survival stories, we also tell the stories of people getting more time. And I know, Emma, that you were yeah. able to have some more time with your beautiful willow due to blood donors. So all three yeah. of our families are very grateful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you're so right, Amy. Like I was always so like I never had a clue about the amount of people and children that receive blood donations for so many different reasons. I was someone that just saw the movies of trauma blood and car accidents and things like that and then rushing in the blood and that's all you think of but you don't think of the the long life like the lifelong illnesses that people deal with that need blood donations every single week um yeah so it's yeah it's certainly an amazing thing to raise awareness for and um we try and roll up roll up our sleeves as much as we can yeah. um funny story we went the other day and Dylan was to give plasma for the first time he had KFC for lunch before um and they rejected his blood because it had too much fat in it oh my gosh <laughs> are you sure that wasn't just the KFC oh, it's not like it <laughs> no I was laughing so much he was so excited and then the nurse said like what did you have for lunch and I just saw his face that's amazing so she could tell that just from what like a yeah the a, machine a started like <laughs> The machine, no, the machine started like beeping rejection, like rejection. After, it, after it was going and it rejected it. She's uh, like, this doesn't happen very often and, like, all oh, the nurses Dylan. were around her. <laughs> Use What's him as yes. education. Next time have a salad, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, That'll funny. teach you. <laughs> it was funny. And so, Kate, we were just talking about Marley has just started school um, and is doing amazing. So she's at the school with her brothers. Yeah. Yeah. So we're at this beautiful, quirky little school on the beach. Um, we relocated to Queensland um, about just over 12 months ago because Marley needed a local paediatric intensive care unit. Um, yeah. And it's hard to find a school that meets the needs of all of our family. Um, yeah. Our older boys are neurodiverse. They have ASD and ADHD. All three of our kids have a global developmental delay. Um, all three of the kids have a very genetic form of diabetes, as do I, um, and Marley has epilepsy and autoimmune encephalitis as well. So yeah. when you look at us on paper, like we are a clear shit show. And I don't know if <laughs> we want to accept our enrolments, but we're at this incredible little school that really embraces our kids oh, and their needs and their strengths and where they need additional accommodations and support. And yeah, yeah it's been amazing to have and her go into that it. environment. Yeah, She has, she's with her peers. You know, yeah. for so long, her only friends were, because she's been immunocompromised for the majority of her life, her only friends were the doctors and nurses that she got to yeah. hang out with in hospital or our immediate yeah. family. So yeah. to have her with children her own age is just such yeah. a gift. Yeah. It's just that feeling of normality for her as well and makes her feel like she fits in just like every other kid mm-hmm. and she yeah. may go through what she does, but she still gets to rock up to school yeah. and play with the kids and just live a normal or as normal life as she mm. can outside of what she already deals with, which is mm. super special. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah, putting her labels on as she calls them, putting yeah. her uniform yeah, on. Which so is cute. the same yeah. as the one that the boys wear. The She's boys, just, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and how old is how old are your yeah. boys? So 11 and 9. Yeah. So we've got one last year of primary school for our big guy and then he goes off to high school. Oh, my gosh. And yeah. how have you gone this week? Have you been nervous? Um, look, it's been a roller coaster of emotions. So yeah. obviously, given the frequency of Marley's seizures, 
and because yeah. her seizure response service dog isn't able to go to school with her mm. um, unless we have an accredited handler go with her. And with COVID and like it's just really tough at the moment yeah. and she is so stable, we haven't chosen that as an option for right now. Um, yeah. But it's meant that the staff need to be seizure trained they need to be accredited to give midazolam as a rescue medication for seizures. Um, it's not as, you know, there was the tears on the drop-off day, but it's not as simple as that. You know, we've been planning yeah. this, yeah. her enrolment at school for a good 12 months now to make sure appropriate accommodations were made and that all the staff yeah. were trained for her to be there. So my yeah. hubby and I went for a coffee after we dropped her off and we sat down opposite each other and we both just had a flood of memories back to the last time that she was in a paediatric intensive care unit because mm. it's been that long since yeah, we yeah. have just had time. That so time. just he yeah. and I are alone outside the house. And yeah, yeah. that's one of the things that, you know, people don't tend to understand of, you know, people who have families with additional needs is you can't just leave them with a babysitter. Yeah. Like you yeah. can't just pay the kid down the road 20 bucks to yeah, hang out absolutely. with your kids when you've got yeah, that set of yeah. diagnoses that I just put on the table. Yeah. So, Which um, is why we're here tonight. So what we're going to be discussing is medically complex parenting essentially and everything that comes with that. So as, we've already, as we already know, all three of us have, um, I guess, navigated this life um, and we're going to delve quite deep into it. We've got so many things we want to cover. We've also got a few questions from our audience that we want to cover. Um, so I think we're going to just dive straight in um, and let's talk about sort of the initial overwhelm that comes with not just like a diagnosis, but, you know, some people don't actually even get a diagnosis. So the extra things that you might have to take home from hospitals, so the medical stuff like oxygen, tube feeding, infusions, some people have all of that as well as a diagnosis that they need to research and learn about. Um, and if you don't have a diagnosis, you often spend half of your life researching the, the symptoms and everything to find a diagnosis. So, I mean, I'll start quickly with the initial when Jack was um, diagnosed as aspirating. So the milk was going into his lungs and it was severe enough that he needed a nasogastric tube. Um, I, you know, I stayed in hospital overnight. They taught me how to do the feeds and they set up a schedule which was three hourly feeds throughout the day um at that stage I was still expressing so I'd literally just given up breastfeeding that that instant they were like you can't breastfeed anymore he needs to be fed by a tube so I was expressing and I remember just when we were discharged the next day I put him in the car and I started driving home and I was just howling and I was like I can't even go home I don't know how I'm going to go home and live live this life so I drove to my mum's it was the only thing I thought I could do I'm going to get emotional again I do this every episode um but I drove to my mum's and I just remember getting out the house at her out the car at her house and she walked out of the house and I just howled I said I don't know how this is going to be our life and how I'm going to make this work I'm already juggling so much how is this going to ever become our normal um so I guess in the, in the first instance, I'm not sure if it was the same for you guys, but I just almost had a like sense of impending doom. Like I was just so fearful. Mm -hmm. I had like a physical, like, I don't know, weight on my shoulders and this stress that was just, I, was, I felt like I was going to drown. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think our biggest thing was um, it was scary enough leaving the hospital, but we then had to leave the hospital and get in the car and drive six hours because um, mm -hmm. we're rural. So um, our closest hospital 
bless their hearts, they did as much training as they could, um, but we don't have a full-time doctor. So um, we knew that if something was to happen at home, there wasn't a doctor at the hospital that could see us. So I think that was our biggest um, stress. I felt like I had so much weight on my shoulders and I truly felt like it was up to us to keep our child alive and that is because yeah, you couldn't just no like parents should have to do I remember talking to her in those early days and when you were so unsure mm. about her symptoms Willow's symptoms mm. and stuff and you couldn't just mm-hmm. you know make an appointment with the specialist and go and mm-hmm. talk to them like you couldn't no, just no. um even you know go even local GPs up there wouldn't have the knowledge or the so no. you couldn't just like yeah you know if I if even Jack gets a new wet cough I just book into a respiratory specialist and we treat it like it's yeah. that easy for me but for yeah. you it's such a yeah 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 long way away absolutely yeah yeah, yeah definitely yeah and you're so mm. medicalized in that first bit as well like you just you know even as a nurse I remember thinking now I've got all this equipment like and I I guess the mm. you know the clinical side of it I was you know I had down pat but it wasn't even that it was the you know the emotional stuff and the day-to-day extra you know weight that that put on everything that we did and you know suddenly we had you know syringes and extra Mm. tubes in our house in case he pulled it out and everywhere pumps and stuff that I'm like this isn't yeah this isn't how it should be um yeah and Scott just like I think you really noticed Sorry, keep going, Amy. Scott, who has like absolutely no medical knowledge, I just remember him going, what the hell? Like, I have no idea mm-hmm. how to even do this, let alone to my own child. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think you really notice as well when you go to pack to actually leave your house and the medical yeah. equipment you need to take with you, just even yeah. for a night away to keep yeah. your kid alive outside a hospital yeah. setting when you leave yeah. your own house. So yeah. um, for us, that's, you know, pulse oximetry meters. We've got to make sure that we've yeah. got midazolam with us. Marley's got yeah. a service dog, so everything that he needs as well. Um, all yeah. of the medications, keeping your medications at the right temperature, being mindful if you're travelling rurally, because that's where my family live, that there might not be pharmacies that could replace those medications for you. So yeah. having the right yeah. amount of medications before you leave your house. Um, I think one of the ones that struck me the most was when Thomas was first diagnosed with diabetes. So our three kids were diagnosed within six months initially as type 1 diabetics, and then we changed to a genetic diagnosis later down the track, which is, could be a whole other podcast episode on its own. Um, but they were six, four, and 17 months. And within a six-month period, all of them were diagnosed with diabetes. And when we started looking at the continuous glucose monitor, so a device that was on Thomas all the time, yeah. I have lived as a type 1 diabetic for a fair chunk of my life. And to know firsthand the way that mm. that would alter his life was really heartbreaking for me. So yeah. while that medical technology is phenomenal and it keeps our kids with us and you know has them living their best lives, yeah, it also yeah. creates some pretty big challenges. And that's a different challenge for you having lived it yourself as well. Like, yeah, yeah, gosh. Yeah. And I guess like like you're saying with that whole having to pack, you know, everything but the kitchen seat to even go out, mm. that's like that's part of part of the isolation I think that we feel initially too is no one else yeah. understands. Like I don't think I left mm-hmm. the house for the first few months because it was just too much. And, it, you know, James was um in kindy at that stage and I – 
like just even just in the morning I'm like how am I gonna give Jack his tube feed and get him ready for school all before like you know I need to get him in the car and get them I had just all before nine o'clock I was like there is no so that's literally all I did for a while was just do that and the pickup and everything else in between was um was too hard and if it wasn't you know if it wasn't just doing that it was going to the appointments and the tests and the like in that first year I can we were nearly at least twice weekly appointments and tests and we had ph studies and we had swallow studies and we had therapies and we had speech and feeding and pediatricians and ENT and like the list just goes on and on and yeah yeah, it's just so isolating like you try and you try and tell people so that they can understand but you you just can't describe it enough that people do get it no and I certainly found um especially living in a country town lots of people would just message and say like hey like do you want to pop over in about 20 minutes and it's like well shit like no Mm -hmm. I can't just get out of my house and do that and you you get asked a few times to do it and then the asking just stops people stop asking you to go and do things because you're thrown in that too hard basket and she's going to say no anyway so let's just ask her so it's it isolates you from everybody else as well because you just can't do those normal things that everyone everyone wants you to do and um which makes it really hard because they just don't understand um when a lot of the time you just want them to say hey I want to catch up when suits you like what's a time that suits you that we could go and do something like you just wish that everyone would just come to your house and be okay with that Mm. (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. absolutely yeah Yeah. Mm. and like the that comes back to the whole you know um you yeah like it isolates you from even doing anything as a couple or at certain times or yeah. like because obviously yeah. at the start we couldn't even with Jack it was only me or Scott that knew how to feed him like literally you need to be fed to live so mm-hmm. like you you can't just palm them off to someone else or um you know yeah. eventually my mum and my amazing mum put her hand up and learned said I want to learn how to tube feed him so that I can have him and you can have a break but some people don't even have that like it you know I reckon it was until Jack was one maybe even a bit after that it was just me and Scott and that really restricted if we wanted to do anything it had to be on our own um and it had to be at a certain time and yeah it was um that's that's the other thing again like you're saying Emma people don't they don't seem to understand that that's the way it is and that you can't just give you can't just give that up like it's no my child actually relies on relies on this and I can't just skip it (laughs) you know I can't just skip his lunchtime feeds sorry as much as I'd love to do lunch or Absolutely. a movie. Yeah, it's yeah. just not. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I guess, you know, with all of that, the recurrent tests and the appointments and stuff, you're just always const- you're just always drowning. Like that's the one thing I felt for that first year was I just felt like I had no time to breathe. Um, and even mm. if I came up for air for a second, I was just the next thing would just come and smack you down. Like I think initially it's just, getting all of the information and learning so much and you could, there's no room for anything else. Yeah. Like, mm. And no room for that grief as well or for that emotion and trauma to really hit you yeah. about what you expected that period of your life to look like when the mental load of additional needs parenting is just so relentless. Yeah. Yeah. And like you don't, mm. at the time you don't really think, 
you're not thinking about what you you know what you're missing as a normal experience but now yeah, I look back and I was like you know the first year of his life which is his new you know the newborn stage and the you know the the things that you know people are celebrating the crawling and the sitting and I just feel like all I remember is the the trauma and the you know the yeah the overwhelming feeling of yeah it's, it's sad really and like not being able to process anything that you're going through like with the bre- giving up breastfeeding I feel like I just had you know that was so immediate and I had literally no time to grieve it and I reckon that hit me a, a year later <laughs> I was like mm. started crying yeah. and realized that that was that was another thing that was taken away from me yeah yeah mm. and I guess in that first um year you kind of feel like you're constantly having to fight to be heard as well that was another thing for me was advocating constantly to be heard and to you know every time we went for a new test I'd constantly have to be replaying everything that we're living every day so you know with Jack and his um swallow it took a while for them to figure out what was going on and no matter how many times I would say the same story I just didn't feel like anyone was actually because I kind of you know mum gut I kind of knew what was going on myself yeah and I said, can we get a speech pathologist involved? Because I think that his swallow's not right. And it took, like, it took me saying that multiple times to actually have a paediatrician listen. And that fighting to be heard, and, like, I love our nurses, I love our health system. We're so lucky to have an amazing healthcare system and have access to it. But let's be honest, we've all had a shitty experience and I feel like we've all had to fight harder than we probably think we should have. Yeah. Mm. One of the things that we talk about in the Milkshakes for Mali podcast as well um, is that we change that focus of just looking at the child with additional needs or the special needs child and change that narrative to additional needs families um, because there's such a significant impact socially, financially, you know, in your marriage, in your relationships with your other children um, and, you know, that social isolation that we were talking about there's a significant mm. impact on all members of the family, not just the child who is unwell. Um, yeah. And I think that's really important for your support networks to be aware of as well, that sometimes the most useful thing that they could do might be saying, not can I help with the child who's currently unwell, but can I grab, come and grab your other kids and take them to a movie or, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. can I support you guys in some way to, you know, hang out with your kids in their lounge room and you can just go and sit on your back deck and have a cup of tea with your husband and have 10 minutes together or it's looking at the whole family as a whole unit not just the one who's unwell and I think medical professionals sometimes probably just don't have capacity to recognize that but you know Mm. there's whole family units involved yeah yeah and having like I guess having like we talk about this a lot we've talked about this already Emma and having people do stuff without having to ask them specifically what what you want or what you need um but we're no good at it we've talked about being we're no good at asking for help or telling people what to do but I I also kind of don't think we can expect people to know if they haven't been in our situation either so yeah it's it's really hard and I think that's why we all sort of find our community online this medical community um that is so important because they're the ones that we can you know talk about this shit with and they get it and 
you know, I've had people within the medical community that I've never met before dropping meals at my door, you know, like they, they get, they get it and they know what they can do to help without having to ask. Um, and it is, it's the community that we find online that really, um, I don't know, they're the ones that have got me through a lot of my hardest times. Even mm. I've had people send me, you know, Uber Eats vouchers when I've been in the hospital and I haven't been able to leave Jack's side because he's been, you know, stuck to me all day. And you literally, mm. I've been at breaking point in the hospital room. I'm talking, I can feel myself about to explode and Jack's there on me. He hasn't slept for two days. I haven't slept for two days. I haven't eaten. And I just literally feel like I, if anyone even looked at me the wrong way, I would blow their head off. Um, and then in, into my inbox comes a Uber Eats voucher from, yeah, like I said, it's someone I've met online that I hardly even know. And it's just, yeah, it, it really makes you feel seen and less alone. Um, yeah, because, yeah, you just, especially those, I would just, those, the, the isolation of that hospital room and when you've done it so many times, just, yeah. Mm. Obviously, yep. podcasting isn't a visual medium, but for people listening, there's a lot of vigorous nodding happening around <laughs> our conversation at the moment. We've all been there, yeah. and we're yeah. all yeah. And, and I'm guessing yeah, that's when you're in those pits of that despair and that frustration and that survival mode, and someone says to you, like, amazing that they show up, but someone says to you, "What can I do? What do you yeah. need?" And I think that just adds an additional task to your mental load sometimes yeah. when you're that broken. Like yeah, I can't, yeah, I, yeah. I don't even know what I need. I can't yeah. think about creating a direction for you to give me yeah. something. And it's really yeah. hard to, you know, show people that you're so grateful that they're showing up and not, you know, they're opening yeah. their hearts and their arms to you rather than looking away, which so many people do when you're in a situation like all three yeah. of us have been in. It's just too hard basket for some people and they just can't. Um but yeah, it's really hard to know. And that's the other thing. I've I've had people I've I've had people who I think, you know, even some of my closest family and friends who I think they just see this as my life now and it's like it's almost like oh that like I, I Jack recently was in hospital and it was just once again for an infected peg and it was just a couple of days and he just needed some IV antibiotics. But for us that is such a disruption especially since we've been you know, we have been he's been so well. And but the impact that that has on just our week and on Jack and his medical trauma on me and my fear of hospitals and my anxiety when I walk into the place. Um, and I, I had some of my closest family and friends, they knew we were in hospital. I didn't even hear from them, not even a message. Mm, and then yeah. when I saw them the next, you know, maybe a couple of days later at a family dinner, not even, a, not even a how's Jack, like it. I, and that just, it blows my mind that, I think that they just think that this is just part of our world now. And I'm like, no, but it's not normal. This is still not okay. No, or, yeah. you know, as many times as we do this, it is not something that should be ignored. I, yeah, I don't know. I can't imagine having a, you know, a close family or friend member in hospital and not acknowledging it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to sometimes say, the I don't want to say the wrong thing. thing. <laughs> well, I yeah. think that's the thing. Sometimes the most useful things people have said to me are, I have no fucking idea what to say to you yes. right now, but I'm here. Yeah, yep. I'm yeah. showing up. I don't know what to say. Oh, I, I don't know what to do, and but I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking and of you. Tomorrow, and I'll be here next week. Yeah. And I'm always here. And if you need space, yeah. and that's what you need, that's fine too. But I think sometimes that's more useful 
people can't yeah. fix it. Like yeah, ongoing no. chronic and complex health stuff, you can't. It's not a problem that you can fix. So you just need to show up. Yeah. And like you said, it doesn't have to be much. I know we struggled a lot um, when Willow was really unwell. Obviously, Dylan was supported really well um, in Kimber. He was looking after Hazel um, and he had so much support at home. But I think that left a big hole for me who was stuck in the hospital with Willow without the support of anyone because mm. people were so focused on making sure that Dylan was okay and Hazel was okay which is beautiful and that's an absolute favor to us but yeah I certainly felt um very alone especially during COVID as well when no one could come in and see you or Mm. um yeah so I think that adds a lot of added stress as well to it yeah and Emma speaking that with what with Kate saying about people not knowing what to say but still at least acknowledging that like I yeah. Do you feel like that with like with Willow when she passed, like people wouldn't have known how to act or even how to approach you or anything, but it's better for them to actually do it and stuff it up or acknowledge, you know, what's happened rather than just walking straight by you and being too scared to talk to you. Like it's, it is, it's acknowledging yeah. what you're going through. Yeah. And that it's happened. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think, um, especially in the early days like obviously we're still pretty early on in our um journey but in the early days I remember we would walk into a room and it was like you're a zoo animal people would just Mm. like stare at you um but we we felt the same when Willow was alive as well you know we would go to an event and I'd be standing there um plugging her peg feet in and people would just Mm. stare at us like they wouldn't come over and ask the question of what is that or um what are you guys doing or do you guys need a hand they would just stare at you and it's just ask the questions just say yeah. like yeah what what are you do what are you doing and I'd more than happily be tell them like we're we're feeding her this is how she's fed and this is why and start that education process um and it was the same with when she passed away sometimes yeah. people will ask me a question and I'll cry and other times they can ask me a question and I'll happily talk about it. But like you said, I would rather somebody ask me than mm-hmm. um, stand there and stare at me like I'm some sort of like animal. And yeah, yeah. it and makes you feel it's... very um, worried to go out into public places because you don't know what sort of audience you're going to get from people. Mm, especially in a small town too. It's hard to say Absolutely. in a small town. Yeah, yeah, because they all know what's happened, yeah. Yeah, because they all know what's happened and they know what's going on, but they're not, yeah, because it's a small town, everyone knows everything. Yeah. Um, but they're not going to come and talk to you about it. They often just talk amongst each Most other about it, which is really frustrating, yeah. But you think the impact that people staring at you has on our children as well, that's the other thing, I think. Absolutely, That's yeah. why it's important that we tell, like we talk about this and tell people that we're happy for you to come and ask questions and we'd prefer that because you gawking at us across the room is actually making yeah. our children feel uncomfortable too when we, we yeah. this is it, this is part of their life. They don't know yeah. any different and they, yeah. like Jack would, if someone was staring at him funny, he'd be like, what are they looking at? Like he wouldn't even know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, my, yeah. my tube's awesome. Yeah, but um, yeah. It is, it's, it, I guess it's And then it's so important awareness. because... 
Yeah, and it's so important because then if they know, then they can educate their children who eventually our children are going to go to school with yeah. with these medically complex needs and their kids are going to have some sort of an idea how to support their friend and what yeah. their friend's going through. But if the parents aren't willing to ask the questions, then the kids aren't going to be educated either, which is it's a hard, hard task. Yeah, and I guess there's always a fine line like I know I'm quite open to talk about Jack and everything, but not maybe not everyone is. So I guess it's approaching it gently, like not not like the old man that came up yeah. to me and asked, "What's wrong with Jack?" Like, well, not didn't know oh, him. Oh, that made my blood oh. boil when I heard that in your previous episode. Yeah, so cranky. Mm, we yeah. had a similar one where we had um, Marley has got a big converted stroller that it doesn't look like a wheelchair; it looks more like a stroller. And we had a lady say to her, um, we were coming out of a disabled toilet and she said to her, oh, you're a big girl now. You don't need to be in that pram like that. Your mummy doesn't need to be pushing you. You get up and you walk. And at this stage, Marley couldn't get up and walk. Like she could sort of, you know, move from, you know, a couple of steps holding things to steady herself around and she was like, oh, but, but these are my special wheels. Like she I was, was saying, aren't they pretty obvious like, yeah. that it's not a pram? She didn't like, understand. Is it... And I had a choice to make. I could either educate her in that moment but upset my child because yeah. I couldn't yeah. have done it tactfully yeah. or I just yeah. let it go. So now yeah. I've just talked about it on the podcast a few yeah. times. So I hope one day she hears this <laughs> yeah. episode. Yeah. yeah. You're letting <laughs> it all out now. Something like that again. Yeah. 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 So I guess maybe we'll head on into NDIS. That's how I felt. That's how I felt when someone told me that we should apply. I went mm. like the dreaded NDIS. Mm. But now, ten months in, we're actually coming up mm. for Jack's first review, and I actually put a post up last night about how well he's doing and the difference it's made. Yeah. So it is a hundred and ten percent worth it, and it's. Um, the process wasn't actually as hard as I was like it was made out to be to me like I had a very smooth process and it's not always the way for for others but um, yeah I guess Kate you've probably dealt with NDIS more Mm. than any of us. Yeah absolutely so all three of our kids have got NDIS plans so I think I was lucky with Campbell and Marley's plans that I'd already navigated it with Thomas Um, so I had a bit of an idea of what I was getting myself into Um, I think one of the really difficult things with NDIS plans, particularly if it's not something that you're expecting, is that you're trying to navigate that process at the same time as you've just had a new diagnosis, you know, injury, illness, disability, whatever it is. So feeling like you've got the mental load to be able to, you know, and the mental space to be able to navigate that against your mental load is really difficult. And that was one thing that I found really hard. Um, again, what I found incredibly useful was the online support groups that were available Mm. that you could sort of bounce ideas off and creating that community around yourself of like-minded other medical parents um, and other disability parents that understood what you were going through and, you know, could share copies of their plans or could explain what it felt like to go through an NDIS review process um, to explain that you don't have to go in and talk about your best day because that's not going to get you the support that you need. You need to give a really realistic look at what your worst day looks like and when you really need that support. Um, Two of our plans are based on our son's neurodiversity rather than their physical disability, which is what Marley's plan is based on. And the first meetings that we did, it was 
early, like this was a while ago, I think Thomas has had five rolling plans now, mm. um, he had to sit in the room with us mm. while we talked about the fact that yeah. he didn't ever get invited to birthday parties and he mm. couldn't interact at a, you know, age-appropriate level and that he couldn't look after himself and his behaviour wasn't okay and that, you know, he was at risk in traffic and safety situations. Yeah. And there's no way that we would ever use that language with no. our child. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I would approach that quite differently now if given that opportunity. Um, but I think the thing, you know, just be as prepared as you possibly can. And it's the yeah. time to really lean on, you know, your allied health professionals, whether they're ones that have come through the hospital setting or privately to make sure that you've got all of that evidence that you need, which once again isn't necessarily, you know, financially possible for a lot of people until you get that NDI support. So yeah. um, I don't think there's any right answer, but, yeah. No, I remember – um, As much as you can. Yeah, and I remember one of the things that hit me quite hard when I was going through that process was reading the reports from the therapist and – they also obviously put worst case scenario and just the language that they use can be quite, um, quite hard to read. When it's, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, I guess, like you said, Kate, it's on top of like, a, you know, a mental load that you're already struggling to deal with and then to read all these things about your son that you would never have put into words yourself. Um, like, you know, you probably know it, but mm. yeah, it's just, this is the language they use and they have to, but um, I guess just being prepared for that as well, knowing that, they are, you know, giving the worst case. And the biggest advice I got for NDIS was to write a carer impact statement. So I literally wrote a document of how having Jack um, impacted, that sounds awful, impacted, but, you know, how the day-to-day -day stuff that we do with Jack, it did impacted our life. <laughs> um, yeah, differently, absolutely. Yeah. Different, differently to what, I guess, a neurotypical or a, a normal, I hate saying that word, you know, child a non-medically complex yeah, child gosh. yeah like and I, I say never say that word and here I am on the podcast saying it but um <laughs> let's just call it out that we need someone to come up with a different term we need something yeah. that we can use for that um but yeah just like comparing him and I guess for us we were comparing raising him to raising James and um the extra mm -hmm. stuff that are added to our lives and that carer's impact statement actually got us a support worker if I hadn't done that like I was basically told if I hadn't done that I wouldn't have gotten any in-home support yeah um mm. and we, what we got was minimal and I understand that but um I think it's important and again it's hard because I wrote down every step of our day and the little things like I'm talking from changing his tape to flushing his line to and I did the worst case scenario so you know if he pulled out his tube that day and um if it had caused him to reflux and he vomited everywhere and then I had to clean all of his linen, like every single detail. Yeah. Um, mm. But it is, it, it will give you, get you extra support as well. So, mm. yeah. I wanted and to I think that yeah. leans okay. in a little bit as well as to um, the importance of identifying ourselves as carers when we have yeah. families with additional needs. Um, and that's one of the big distinctions that I have had to make um, with the NDIS plans and things like the care impact statements is while in my heart of hearts, I feel like I say, I just do these things for my children because I'm their mum and I'm the one that wants to do it for them. You are actually providing additional care mm -hmm. that yeah. other families don't have as part of their weekly routine. And um, it's okay to call that out and it's okay 
to put that yeah. in those impact statements. And it's also okay to give yourself that kindness and make sure you get that support that you need as a carer. Yeah, that's certainly something I think most of us struggle with is making that distinction. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But I don't want to go on too much about that um, NDIS stuff, but if anyone's got any questions, ask Kate. <laughs> no don't take it as a no take it as a maybe if you yeah. really believe and the teams around you really believe that this is support that you need ask for a review you don't have to wait your yeah. 12 months to ask for a review if your circumstances change within that 12 month life of your plan ask for a review and make sure you get the support that you get because nothing's going to happen immediately anyway these things are going to take months so Think yeah, about absolutely. what it will look like yeah. in three months' time if you don't get the support that you need. And actually in yeah. saying that, if if someone has been knocked back for feeding therapy or feeding support because you have to feed, you know, because it's below 12 months and every parent has to feed their child, then you can inbox me and ask about NDIS because I think that's mm. bullshit. And um, yeah. I have ways of, well, I think I have ways around with. it. Yeah. 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 That's what we struggled with the most. We actually finally um got the little letter of approval and our budget the week after Willow passed away. Um <laughs> which is super helpful. Thank you, mm. NDIS. Um but um yeah, we just got bounced back. It was just well, everyone has to feed their kid, like you said. Yeah. And she just wasn't she didn't have a real di- diagnosis, which was half of yeah. our problem. And um you would read the letters from the the speech path and the doctor and they sounded so alarming because it was yeah. she wasn't breathing a lot of the time she was I was a full-time carer I couldn't put her down um I couldn't go anywhere but it just didn't yeah and it it's just blurred, didn't fit the criteria yeah blurred lines between medical and disability and that's where yeah I just like yeah it frustrates me because a kid like when Jack was applying, um, like I said, we were really lucky and I think I just got a really good, um, what are they called, like local area consultant that came out and she was yeah. really keen for early intervention and she wanted to help us. But I know that so many people have had to literally go back time and time again to fight that yeah. that this is actually a developmental delay rather than a yeah. medical diagnosis. And, yeah, it really frustrates yeah. me. So keep, like you said, Kate, keep fighting and if you need Mm. Um, yeah, any advice and I'm happy to talk to you about that as well but I guess after yeah, you know I'm happy to talk to people about that too yeah cool um yeah so I guess after you know all of this and you start to sort of I, I do feel like you start to gain some control of the situation and you start to balance it all especially when you've got your NDIS support and you start to get your weekly or fortnightly therapies and you've got your team you know your, who your specialists are and you know your doctors and you're working towards these goals and you do find a routine that works for you. So I kind of want to put a bit of an emphasis on, I guess, the positive. You know, we talk a lot about the yeah. how hard it is. But I do think that, like, my biggest thing is that it does get easier. Um, all mm. it has for us. Like, yeah, I really found, like I said, I was in tears and didn't think I could ever live this life. And now we go on. We literally go in our camper van and go on holidays every few weeks. And we make it work yeah. around our lives and we don't let it define mm. us um so yeah I, do, I did just want to throw in there that yeah mm. stay, stay one of the things that I hate so much is that term new normal 
you'll find your new norm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we want to vomit, yeah. but yeah. we do need to yeah. come up with a better term for yeah. that too. So Again, we need to yeah. put our heads yeah. together and put something together. Yeah. Um, yeah. I constantly tell my kids and I try and remember this advice for myself as well, despite their disabilities, there isn't a single thing in the world that my children can't do. It yeah, might look mm-hmm. a little bit differently or take a little bit longer or we might have to do it with some more safety nets involved in the way that the other kids do things. But there's nothing in the world that they can't do and I have to remember that in the way that we raise our family as well. And Yeah, um, yeah I wouldn't swap them. On paper, it looks like a shit show, but I would not swap these kids <laughs> for anything in the whole world. Yeah. They are just the most phenomenal little people and there's so much sunshine and rainbows amongst those storms of having medically complex kids that, you know, our children love each other so fiercely and it's because they've spent so much time separated that they don't take each other for granted. Mm. And we don't, you know, those really simple things like after you would understand this, Emma, as well with being a long Mm. way from a major hospital that, Mm. you know, Jeff and I lived, uh, sorry, Marley and I lived in Sydney in hospital for months on end when she was first sick and Jeff and the boys were in Canberra and we'd see them most weekends, but a lot of it was just shitty FaceTime calls via video and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. It was really, really hard. So when we first got back, being able to sit around the table and have dinner together or watching the kids play in the backyard together or just those really simple, beautiful things things. just felt like such a luxury and yeah. You know, when you strip back all of the extra crap in your life, one of the beautiful things about having medically complex kids and kids with disabilities is it makes you realise what's really, really, really important in your life. And it's the simple stuff. Mm. That's oh, what's gosh, really Kate. important. You could be a motivational speaker. <laughs> Listen to the way she talks. I'm like, I know. Praise you. You're saying everything <laughs> that I want to say, but you're just verbalising <laughs> it so beautifully. Well, thank you. I've, I've had a bit of experience at this. I've got a few yeah. years. I was like, on you, should be a, you should be a public parenting thing. Public speaker, though. With yeah, you just articulate everything so perfectly. Thank you. And I guess, <laughs> and like I say, all of this and how it, it does get easier, and you know, um, yeah, for us. And I always have to say, like, it sounds, yeah. Unfortunately, we know that it doesn't get easier for some and that not all babies do survive. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, so Emma, I guess I like to always get your perspective on these things as a lost mama. Mm. Um, you know, we've talked about in the past how, you know, the perspective of losing Willow, you sort of now, even on your hardest days, you just wish that you could have that again, um, you know, just to have one more day with her. Like we talk about our hardest days but we still have our children here and you know uh, yeah how how do you how do you feel talking about all of this being yeah where you are it yeah it's it's always a hard one I think um and I I get a lot of guilt over this a lot of the time is um the days that we spend in hospital or the days days that we spent in home that I called them my hard days and um they were they were they were awful and I cried a lot and I questioned why this was our life and um now I I look back on that and I feel I feel awful that I ever even complained about it um and I know that I have every right to have complained about it but when you've 
you've lost that child that you complained about in the time it it does just add that that part of guilt that you shouldn't complain about it um and it's also really hard and you it's one of the things that I don't like to feel but um when you when you hear other families um that have their children with them and you hear them talk about having a bad day and they don't even need to be um parents of medically complex children they can just be parents of a newborn or parents of a toddler and they're having a hard day it it takes a lot for me to just to not say anything and just bite my tongue because you don't want to be that person that um, has that resentment over them because their child is alive and I always have to remember that that is a hard day and I had those hard days and just because my hard now is different to the hard that they're feeling doesn't make their hard irrelevant mm. um but that's something that's I I struggle with a lot um especially with friends um yeah. but yeah it's something that I have to learn how to try and um navigate as we go along but yeah it's it's a tough one mm-hmm. I haven't worked out how to navigate it um listeners of our podcast will know but to let listeners of your podcast know um, our Campbell, our middle guy, is a surviving twin, and uh, his twin brother Benjamin died during our pregnancy. And I get that a lot with twin mums mm. talking about, you know, it's so much yeah. harder having two babies. Um, yeah. Imagine how tired you'd be if you had multiples. Mm. Yeah. Um, that kind of idea of, oh, you know, I'm so much more uncomfortable pregnant because there's, you know, yeah. two babies in my belly, and I'm like, well, mm. you know. I carried two babies to term as well. It was just that one of yeah. my babies had died yeah. and I birthed yeah. two babies too. And yeah, it's, I don't know what the answer is, but that's, yeah. I find that really difficult yeah. as well. Um, yeah. It doesn't mean that a, they're not tired. It doesn't mean no, that the day wasn't yeah. hard, but yeah. what I would give to have their tired oh, and their absolutely. heart and have yeah. Benjamin back. Yeah. 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 And it is, it, it is an awful feeling and it's not something that, I I certainly try not to display but sometimes it's really hard sometimes you just want to yell at someone or just shake them them and just say like be freaking grateful like Mm -hmm. but again you just have to take that step back and just say this is their hard like Mm -hmm. just try and yeah yeah I try to approach it with kindness when I can and I always say to people particularly if I've been had a a public speaking engagement type situation or talking to groups of parents about our shit show is, you know, you sort of leave people with the idea of, you know, hug the people that you love and particularly children as close as you can tonight because you just don't know what's around the corner and none of us are immune from something like this happening to any of us tomorrow. Um, And we do say that with Marley is that we don't know what her future will hold. There's no cure for autoimmune encephalitis. Um, she will relapse. We don't know whether it's two minutes, two years. Yeah. We Like we just don't know. We have no idea when it's going to happen, but it will and we're going to go back to where we were before and we understand that and there's such a joy in that too, parenting her so mindfully and living every yeah. day with our family so yeah. mindfully. Um, yeah. You've got to try and find, yeah, that sunshine and those rainbows in your Absolutely. storm. Absolutely, Yeah. And I do think you guys can give a lot of perspective to people with your stories as well. Um, every time we talk, Emma, I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, the perspective it gives me, it brings me down to earth. Um, 
and like you said it reminds me to hug my boys so tight because yeah yeah you just don't know yeah 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 but you also want to make sure that that doesn't minimize your heart as well Amy like on your hard days because some of the things you do are it is freaking hard and being a medically complex mum is really hard and you should never have to look at that and go oh well I can't have this hard day like Willow's dead and um my Jack and James are alive so I've just got to deal with it and I've just got to get over it no it's like it's not like that and you are very much so entitled to have those hard times and so is everybody else it's and that's why like we've said this so often about the comparisons and trying not to compare journeys and it's really difficult um not to Mm. um especially Mm. in this medical world where you we are so tight and we're so open with our struggles um Mm, but it's not yeah like you said it's not it's never, it never should be compared. And I mean, I still have fucking no. hard days and I'm never, yeah. <laughs> I'm never going to stop yeah. saying that because, um, no, if, if and it, you're allowed I, to, yeah. yeah. But when you, when and you look, do, that's the yeah. magic of this podcast, isn't it? Is yeah. I think the hardest days that I have had grief wise, but also medically complex parenting wise is the days that I've felt alone. And they're the days that you feel like there isn't a single other person in the world that has walked that path. Yeah that you have walked and it's that, you know, two o'clock in the morning, I'm the only person that's ever done this that you remember forever. And in creating the raw podcast, you're creating a space and a community for people when they feel like that, that they can put in their headphones and they can listen to other people who have navigated this journey and have come out the other side, whatever that looks like for them. So I'm so grateful to you guys for creating this space. This is such a brilliant, brilliant thing that you're doing. Thank you. Um, and like, I guess knowing, like you were saying, Emma, it's okay to feel sorry for yourself too. Like I feel like we all, mm. as carers, we feel like we constantly have to have this strong, um, you know, image. Facade. Like you can, yeah, yeah, like you can handle anything, but it's okay to push the unfair button and say this is shit and this shouldn't be how it mm-hmm. is. Um, so many of like, how many times I've, you know, been like literally feel like I'm about to burst into tears when I'm speaking to someone and they ask how I am and I'm like, I'm fine. Like, why can't I just, yeah. why can't we just yeah. say I'm actually having a really shit time? Yeah. And, you know, the, yeah. the person that you're speaking to would probably is asking because they want to know the truth and yeah. they want to help. But we, yeah. we don't always have to be strong. Like um, even yeah. on the good days, you don't have to, yeah, this I'm having such a good day because, yeah, it's, it's okay to it's a hard one isn't it yeah. yeah to not to not be okay like it's okay to say yeah I'm having a tough day and um even if even if it is one of your better days like yeah I just yeah and I think it's a, like it's long-term impact on on your mental health as well like there's um mm. yeah I don't even know where to start with that and that's probably another episode because we're looking at the clock we're getting we're getting we've been talking for nearly an hour um but one thing I did want to touch on and we've got some questions so I'll be quick um because I want to cover some of those but um actually I might bring this into one of the questions so someone asked um how do you cope with carer burnout without burning out your close key support so this is this one really hit home for me because my mum is the only other one person that can tube feed Jack so 
we rely on her so heavily. So anytime we want to do anything, it's mum. Anytime I want to work during the week, it's mum. This is why I mostly work on weekends or do nights because I don't want to constantly have to rely on my mum. And then feel you do you feel guilty about that because you've got, you know, you you're constantly. I almost feel like I'm using my mum. Like how awful is that? And like she is so happy to do it, and she's the first person that'll put her hand up and say, "I'll have him." Like she loves it. But you do feel like um, you're almost relying so heavily on that person and causing them to be burnt out, which is um, really tricky. But for for most of us, we don't have another option. We can't use mm. childcare or you know, just an, an auntie or an uncle, there's just no one else that can look after your child. So, you know, my mum, my mum always says, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather have him, you know, three times a week than you not be able to have any time to yourself. And I just think she's bloody amazing. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I even have an answer for that, but. She is to Amy's <laughs> mum. How yeah. great is yeah. Amy's mum? That's awesome. <laughs> Let's throw some love to Amy's mum. I think um, we have been lucky in the sense that I married the most incredible man in the world. And I know that doesn't Mm. drop well because so many um, marriages don't survive what Mm, all of us have been through. You know, on this episode tonight, all of our stories quite often the divorce rate or the separation rate or whatever is so, so high. And um, I am grateful that I am in a marriage where we can sort of park our marriage a little bit and we're best mates that are facing this shit show together and Mm. we can get through it together. Um, And I just think it's about being honest with the people closest to you, whether it's your partner or your mum or your support workers or whoever it is. Um, about when you do need that little bit of extra space and that little bit of extra support and trying not to feel guilty about that as a carer yourself. But I think that's also fair to the people that are supporting you as well because if they don't know what your mental health space is like, you just end up being a snappy bitch that can't even articulate exactly what it is that's wrong with you, but you're actually just done. Um, And we never want to take that out on our little people, so we end up taking it out on all the other people around us. But then I even feel that guilt with Scott, not guilt with Scott because it's he's also dad, but I feel like we never, it, it's always one of us. Like it's always, yeah. we literally handball. Like I feel like I come home from work and he goes off to work and, you know, like we do rely, we rely on each other so heavily as well. And it's like, when do we get, mm. that's the thing I think that that's why relationships fail because you just don't have time to put into your marriage. And I do feel like I kind of, wish that we didn't have to rely on each other so heavily as well um mm. to just be able yeah. to do the simple things like we have to literally put it in my calendar when I want to go for a walk <laughs> like it's just yeah it's yeah. insane like those little mm, yeah you know I do feel like he deserves more time to go and do stuff that he wants to do mm-hmm. like when footy season rolls around I'm like yay because he gets to go and do something that's yeah. good for him and his mental health but then it's funny at the same time if like this year I'm playing footy um, and I now when I go to when we I came need home to from, talk more about uh, that when I came yes. home from footy training on Wednesday night I said thank you for letting me go he's like what are you thanking me for letting you go to footy training uh, and I'm like I just because I feel I like do I'm that all the time yeah, yeah I shouldn't be doing yeah. this like I actually feel like I shouldn't be doing this yeah. for myself but for, this is what I yeah. need yeah. yeah 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 it's really tricky I have it? um yeah I have 
a question from one of our Instagram followers, Amy. I'm not sure if you've got this one. Mm-hmm. It's actually only been recently put up, but I think it's a really good one. Um, I would love to hear about coping with grief, grieving the life you had imagined without the trauma, therapies, appointments and diagnosis. Mama to a beautiful special needs boy who has been through some traumas and struggling to come to terms with what we have been through and how it has changed our lives. So for us, um, I guess I come at this from two different perspectives, from the neurodiversity perspective as well as the physical physical disability perspective and what helped me was realizing that the hopes and dreams and lives that I had projected for these children were just that they were my hopes and dreams and projections they weren't the hopes and dreams and projections that my kids had and you know that's different if you're caring for an older child that has been aspiring towards different things in their life and they've had an accident or an illness that has changed the trajectory of their life I guess we've been lucky that it's happened with our kids so young that, you know, they don't know what I was hoping and dreaming for them to happen. They just know what their life is. And, again, you know, you keep telling them that there's nothing in the world that they can't do. Um, I think if we're being honest that a big thing in our family has been the financial impact that it has had. Um, And a big part of that is my career. I was our primary breadwinner before. I had massive career aspirations. Um, Jeff had planned to take a bit of a step back so I could, you know, dive deep and go in full time and had big goals that I expected to kick, um, which would have significantly changed our financial status compared to what we are now. And that's been really hard. It's not that I resent my children for what's happening with them, but I do resent the fact that I've missed those opportunities and I've struggled to reconcile that. So I think giving it a voice is really important. Yeah. Yeah. There was someone else that had a similar question, Emma, about trauma and not only that the children mm. go through, but, um, you know, for example, holding your child down to insert a nasogastric tube, which we have to learn mm. to do in our own home, and yeah. it becomes part of yeah. your household and a, almost a trauma at home because we've always, for so long, we mm. wanted to keep it separate, you know, the medical and, and home. Um, but now with Jackson mm. Fusions, every week we have to, you know, put needles in his thighs on our couch, like... Um, and she asked yeah. about, you know, how not only for the child but for the parents or the carer as well and feeling like the, the you're so alone because you can't exactly go and chat about that in your mum's group or with your friends at the coffee shop. Like yeah. and the impact that that trauma has on not only your child but then on yourself as a carer and parent. Yeah. 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 Mm. I struggle with that one a lot. Um, I struggled a lot with it when she was alive, but I struggle a lot with it now that she's passed and I, um, she was a chronic tube puller. Uh, I mean, on a daily basis, sometimes she would have that tube pulled out or she would spew it out or, um, so we weren't allowed to be trained, but we had to either go up to the hospital or we would drive to Port Augusta. Um, but the, that's one of my worst memories of her is the, that, that, look in her face as they're having that tube reinserted and that you can just see that trauma and the fear and they're looking right into your mm. eyes for support and you can just feel like that blame is on you and like you're um, letting them down I really yeah. Sh- yeah yeah and especially when they're so little they have no idea and that's all mm. she ever knew was having that happen to her and um I feel really 
yeah, really guilty that that's the life that she she led for the short year that she had. Um, so mm. I think you take your trauma, but you also I also carried her trauma throughout all of that as well, um, which is okay. a really heavy load to carry. Mm. Yeah. One of the few things that has got me through our medical processes like that, and as Molly gets older and the boys to an extent, I've been able to put words around it for them in an age appropriate way is explaining yeah. that what we're doing, we're doing it for them, not to yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's nothing that mummy wouldn't do to be able to take your place in this situation. And yeah. mummy wouldn't do it if I hadn't spoken to all the doctors and nurses and we knew that this is what you needed to keep you well. And, yeah. Um, yeah, doing it for them, not doing it to them and just yeah, trying yeah. to remind yourself of that in those moments of yeah. trauma. Yeah, I actually recently on Facebook saw an amazing post that was written by a um, medical mum, which I will share with you guys, um, with the audience as well on our Instagram page, because it was, it had something around that as well, Kate, very similar to what you just said, and it's absolutely amazing. So I'll share that with everyone. Um, But in terms of medical trauma, I get this question the most, I think, on my personal Instagram page about how, because Jack's being diagnosed with medical trauma, and people ask how we... um, navigate that and you know he does he does play therapy but I I often like I understand the concept and why they do it but I often look at play therapy as like uh, what is it really doing I play with him every day but the biggest thing that helped Jack with his medical trauma is his what is called his billy bear so it's a teddy bear that has a peg Mm. inserted and it has my mum actually here we go again with my beautiful (laughs) mum Um, has these like two Velcro um, circles on its legs that he can attach um, like a needle, well, not the needles, but, you know, the lines and the syringe and he can do the, he he gives the bear his needles and he gives the bear his tube feeds and he actually runs to get that bear every time we say it's needle time and he he copies the, it's it's something like him that he can, it normalises what he goes through in a way because he doesn't see it happening yeah. to his brother or anything. So, I, yeah, I just wanted to throw that in here because that's the biggest yeah. thing that has helped Jack mm. um, with that trauma is definitely yeah. having something like yeah. him that he can play with and yeah. experiment with. And, yeah, it's been a godsend, to be honest. So, yeah. yeah. Especially when he's not old enough for you to say, like, why he's having to yeah. have this and he's yeah. not at the age to understand. So that's certainly a really good tool to have and Absolutely. it's something that you can explain to him when he's older. But for now it's just how can you make this easier for him and for you and try and make it a most least traumatic experience as possible every time. Yeah. So true. Absolutely. All right, we did have a a couple of other questions but I don't think we're going to get to them um there's a couple that actually we will cover in some future episodes so keep your ears out for that but um yeah I hope we've I hope we've helped in some way and covered some of the topics that you guys were hoping we would talk about um I'm so grateful Kate you've been absolutely amazing I could sit here and chat with you for for hours um, about this so and it is like even look, just I think we will again yeah exactly I think even just coming on with two like-minded people who have been through similar stuff and talking about it that in itself is therapy like I was going to say if you need to if you need to obviously go and speak to a professional because I did that for for about six months and it did help um Mm -hmm. but I know it's hard to find that time so the online community talking to people who who get it because 
that's one of the biggest things is that people say that their friends and their you know family circle just don't understand I think it's finding those people that do because even just having a chat like this for an hour if, if you can manage yeah. to do it over coffee if not do it over zoom it is so good yeah. for your mental health yeah absolutely absolutely yeah so thank you Kate for coming um thank you, thank you um, if girls. any of your listeners would like to um, find us and our podcast to hear yeah. these stories um, survival stories of blood product recipients it's milkshake for Marley and I just want to spell it out it's M-A-R-L-E-I-G-H and that's where you can and find you, us why don't you tell everyone about your milkshakes for Marley um, team as well if yes, for so blood donors got, yeah, yeah we do so if anyone wants to donate blood products um, we'd love it if you could add your donation to the milkshakes for Marley lifeblood team tally when you go to donate um, and where can Milkshakes for Mali community find you guys? Oh, um, I'm not prepared for this. Raw the podcast. So I'll spell that <laughs> out too. <laughs> it's R-A-W-R. Get it? Um, Raw the podcast. So, yeah, we're on Instagram, Facebook, all the, all the usual stuff. Yep. Awesome. Um, I love that, Kate, you popped on with a glass of red. When we did the Carers Circle, we when we first met, you, you and I were both sitting there with I a heard glass about of red wine. Yeah. 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 And here yeah. we are. I mean, I've got the gin tonight, but, yeah, pretty much same, same. We've got a, yeah. got a cup of tea. It goes one way or the other here as well. Um, and we'll pop a link in our show notes as well to the Carers Club and the Carers Circle, um, yes. which is an amazing online community of carers that also do online carer circles. So they're accessible no matter where you are in Australia. Um, and you can come into an online forum and have a chat quite similar to what we have had tonight to yeah. discuss, you know, being a carer and to feel seen and heard as a carer and get that support that you need. Absolutely. Yeah. And in true mum care, carer style, Emma and Kate have both been quite unwell this week and have still shown up tonight. <laughs> Kate's got this sexy husky voice on. Emma's yeah, trying not to throw up. Pneumonia <laughs> sexy husky voice. <laughs> Why do you think having, it's so dark in here? <laughs> yeah, Emma's having a cup of tea to try and soothe her sore throat. Uh, oh. We can't let anything stop us, can we? Fun life. <laughs> yeah. All right, thanks, guys. It's been awesome. We'll speak to you soon. Thanks. Bye. See ya, everyone. Bye. What a bloody joy that was. If you haven't listened to my episode with Amy, please scroll back in your Milkshakes for Marley podcast feed and also go over to Raw the Podcast on all major socials and podcasting platforms to follow and subscribe. And I'll pop a link also in our show notes as to where you can find them. And keep an eye out for our episode with Emma here at the Milkshakes for Marley podcast. It will be dropping in the next few weeks. This episode was written and hosted by me, Kate Fisher, alongside Amy Perling and Emma Bone from Raw, the podcast. Amy and my husband, Jeff, did the audio production for this episode. To make an appointment to donate plasma and other blood products in Australia, please go to www.lifeblood.com.au. And we would love it if you could add your donation to Milkshakes for Mali. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and share this episode with a friend. And as always, I will leave the final word to Mali. Thank you for my plasma.